Hi everyone, my name's Ephraim Brynin and welcome to the Bear Yourself podcast. This episode, uh, I'm talking to Jeff Brazier. Jeff is one of our charity ambassadors. He's been involved with the charity since the very start and he's been on a number of our weekenders. Uh, I had the opportunity to sit down and talk to Jeff about all sorts of bits and bobs. Those of you who know about Jeff, uh, I think you'll find it fascinating and those of you that don't know a huge amount about Jeff, I think you'll find it even more fascinating. He has an incredible background. He's a really genuinely lovely bloke uh, and he sits he sat down with me and was very open and honest about his experiences so here's Jeff's story and I hope you enjoy it. Jeff welcome uh, and thanks for joining me um, really good to have you on board strongman ambassador as well thanks and welcome to the podcast I wanted to just start off and ask you a little bit about you and your daily routine I know you've got a lot of um, routine in your life you like to do some of the physical stuff so what's what's an average day in the life of Jeff Brazier if there is such a thing no 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 two days are the same for for me at the moment and um you know we talk about habits I, I've I, I always look to be in as good habits as possible I really believe that your life is a product of the things that you obviously repeat often um you know sometimes we can be in bad or good habits so you know I I, I, I see that as something that I can control and influence or always try and um, create as, as, as good a structure to my day as possible. When I'm really flying, if you like, <clears throat> I'll, um, I'll be getting up really early. Uh, I'll be um, time boxing my day, which is a way of um, organising everything so that, that the things that you want to get done are in there, but the things that you want to get done for yourself are also in there as well and uh, gives you permission to stop it, you know, when you, you've sort of done the bits that you said you were going to do and you don't then think, right, well, I'm just going to crack on because I think that that's a bad habit. Obviously, you eat since your evening, you then get to bed late, you then sort of can't get up early the next day. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a battle that we all fight, um, you know, against ourselves and our schedules. Um, but at the moment, if I'm, if I'm being perfectly honest, like I've been, I, I worked hard on, just making sure that I exercise every day and if I can't get to a gym, just make sure I have a walk outside because I know that that, 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 that counts. I think in terms of you know perpetuating habits, it's really important to, um, it, you don't have to run a marathon every day in order to sort of qualify or hit expectation, uh, but as long as you, you don't do nothing, um, then, then you don't then feel like, oh, I've missed a day. And if you miss another day on top of that, then all of a sudden it's like you're out of, those habits and it feels quite difficult to, to get back to it. So, you know, I think that's a, 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 a realistic way of just ensuring that you get that sense of um, continuation really. Um, but yeah, for, for me at the minute, there's a few things going on in the background, which are definitely challenging. And I think that that's when we all usually sort of let go of the habits that we most want to keep. So, uh, again, I, I find by using the time boxing method, which people can search online, it's, um, it's a, a guy called Mir Ayal who wrote a book called Indistractable. He's wrote, written a few other titles as well, and I think his books are fantastic. And um, that's just a way of me being like, right, okay, whilst I do have a few things that are going on in the background, I can allow and account for these things. I can reduce the amount that I ex- expect of myself in any one day. Um, and so as a result, you still come through the day feeling like, right, given... Given my capacity at the moment, given the workload at the moment, given whatever we're going through, uh, whatever we've got on, we can we can shrink or enlarge that in order to be able to to still keep some semblance of 
control over over what we've got going on. So my, my habits are sporadic in answer to your question in short. Um, uh, I, I want them to be regular and consistent and successful, but um, at, at the moment I think it's realistic for me to just lower that a little bit and um, and, and just do the real priorities. So we talk non-negotiables, which I think it's good for us to have. Some people don't like the language non-negotiable. Um, you know, there has to be some sort of uh, wriggle room in there so that you don't feel like you have fouled by not hitting that. But if, if I, I don't mind the term non-negotiable, I think it's quite useful for me to feel like something has to happen and that would be um, to train or, or exercising, as I said, just walk um, and, to, and to make sure that I've meditated and read. Um, even if I meditate by just closing my eyes for two minutes, again, that counts on the days where actually I'm going to be able to squeeze that in. Um, and also reading, even if it's just a page. Um, but those, those three things I know generally sort of give me that sense of you know, when you read, you're either educating yourself or you're escaping, um, taking time out for yourself, which is really important because I think a lot of the time we um, we lose the ability to, to press the brake pedal. Um, uh, with meditating, I know that's a complete rest from my mind or the ego, as it, as it were. I've read some wonderful books on that that sort of help you realise that you have to see yourself as separate to your thought process and, and, and not many of us do. We think that that's just us and that what we think is just part of, you know, the main part of who we are and, and actually a lot of the time that's just your, your, your ego and you can um, learn to separate yourself with that, which I had a really interesting experience with when I did the SAS, which is obviously something that we share in common, but I'll, I'll maybe come to that later if it's relevant. And, and as I say, the exercise, again, it's just a way of showing yourself some self-kindness at a time when, you know, regardless if you've got a challenge or two, uh, I think the world is generally a little bit less stable and, and certain than, than we used to believe it used to be. So I think we have to be able to sort of have some way of, of, of choosing what a day looks like and also regulating um, how we feel and what we do to, to improve that or continue that. Putting structure in it, absolutely. And I think it's an interesting thing that you make a point there in terms of exercising so it's only as i've become older i've realized that you to ex you don't when you finish exercise you don't have to be to a point where you can you can't walk or you have to get carried out or you literally can do no more and it's the same with reading you don't have to read something that will tax your brain you know a medical journal or it, it can be anything and i think i've learned that as I've, as I've got older the important part of it is to to put that little bit of structure in the day and it doesn't have to be two hours in the gym to sort of elite athlete standard and you don't have to educate yourself to a academic standard it's just keeping everything moving and trying to improve little by little every day and you mentioned that the SAS who does wins uh, there and obviously that's how we met through that um, about three years ago now three and a half years ago how, how what was your attitude towards yourself at the end of it for you how did you feel because I personally was a little bit disappointed with myself in that I kind of thought I would without question get to the end of it but there's so much more to that show than meets the eye it's not all about the physical side of it it's the being away from home it's being in a foreign country it's being deprived of sleep and food and all the other bits and bobs uh, there's just so much that goes into it that again that was one of those where I I sort of there's lots of expressions that you can lose use you know sort of lose the battle, win the war type scenario. That's how it kind of felt to me. And as I looked back on it, 
it made a lot more sense to me than it did at the time. It was kind of like, well, why can't I just keep up with these guys of 20 years of age? But then, of course, when you reflect back on it, you think, well, of course you can't because you're in a completely different place in your life in comparison to them. So I know yours was slightly different because you're in a celebrity environment. And so there was that element of it as well, which must make it even slightly harder because I guess that becomes more of, or potentially becomes more of an issue. I don't know. But how did you feel at the end of it compared to what you thought you when you went into it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm not sure whether I, I had any expectations other than the fact that I thought I'd be sort of there and thereabouts towards the end because I, uh, firstly, I guess I, I just have a, a confidence in myself physically and mentally, more so mentally, to be honest. And as everyone kept telling me that this is much more of a mental test than it is a physical one. Uh, but you're right, I, I stood there at the end um, and I felt gutted. Um, even though really I've done myself sort of proud, but I, I found myself lacking in departments that I didn't realise um, I was lacking in. That's the beauty of it, actually. I mean, whilst I was gutted at the time, obviously I'm so grateful for the experience because it, it helped me see what the next thing I needed to develop was. Um, there's this thing around being selfish, you know, and I guess you know my my sort of low point of the of the trip was that I, had, I, I was so switched on to achieving for myself and competing with the group as an individual that I forgot to really, you know, in the particular exercise when you almost have to switch from one mindset to another and, and start thinking as a pair instead of thinking as an individual. Um, I wasn't able to do that. I didn't do that very well. Um, and, and as a result, when my partner was sort of um, lagging behind because of an issue with her footwear, um, I, instead of instantly going back and sort of being, being at hand to help, uh, that wasn't my natural reflex. And, and I was so disappointed and perplexed, to be honest. I said, well, why wasn't it? I've, I've carried two kids for 13 years. I've, I've been, um, you know, I've, I've sort of always been responsible for others. I have no issue in doing that. But there's a really subtle difference between being responsible for a group and always being on the edge of it and actually sort of, you know, being shoulder to shoulder and being sort of connected. But it all really comes down to, um, you know, my, my early years, let's say, you know, being fostered sort of early on and being on your own. And that, that obviously, as you can imagine, sort of fosters some sort of sense of um, I need to survive and, and I being the operative word. So my selfishness, you know, to however you sort of um, see that, was not necessarily born out of being spoiled or born out of I'm better than you or born out of I'm going to look after myself, mate. Even though sometimes that's how it was reflected to me within the course. I found that really difficult and really challenging. Um, and what it's more to the point is, is just simply that it was more natural for me to just sit from a comfortable distance to people because if you're at a comfortable distance, they can't hurt you. I think, you know, when it comes to suffering bereavement and things like that, when you've suffered any trauma and usually you... Um, what you can do is just distance yourself um, because then you're you're not going to experience that hurt that you've hurt before. So I, I kind of understand the mechanics of it now, but but you know I'd do anything. It's as stupid as it sounds. I'd do anything to be able to go back and just be like, no, I'm going to literally stand by your side. I'm going to fix your boot. It doesn't matter if we're at the back of the pack. There will always be a, a chance for us to catch up, and that's not what you've necessarily been measured on. So I completely misunderstood. So yeah, gutted at the end. Um, Realised that I, I, I'd sort of yeah come up short, and um, and I guess for the years it's been since I, I've been on there, I've been 
working incredibly hard at, at sharing vulnerability. And, and actually, it probably has informed the way that I've started this um, recording with you by telling you that I've got a few things going on in the background, whereas before pre-SAS, I would have come in and just gone, yeah, everything's great because I'm, I'm using... I'm using a shield of positivity. And don't get me wrong, it got me through some difficult times in my childhood and, and adult life. But I didn't realise, and again, I, I guess this is probably separate to the first example that I've given you, but but also gutted because I realised that when people are struggling and they've just played, let's say they've just gone and done murder ball and, you know, we've got sort of, uh, you know, we're all muddy, wet, you know, there's no chance of it all drying out before you have to do your next thing. You're uncomfortable, you're, you're, you're tired, you also don't know when they're going to come hurtling in, screaming at you, right, let's go. So um, I, I just I just know that people wouldn't come to me in, in that experience and say, Jeff, I'm struggling, because they'd think, I can't tell you because you look like you're, you're doing really well. You're making this look easier. At least you're you appear like you are not breezing it, but just you're not showing those signs of vulnerability and fatigue. And well, because I've been battling and fighting really hard to ensure that on the surface I'm looking I'm, I'm looking confident and looking strong, even though that's not necessarily what's on the inside. I think a lot of us do that in life generally, anyway. So for for having that reflected to me and realizing that there were certain moments when. <clears throat> I needed someone to come up to me. I needed someone to check in and see how I was. And I just, I, I, I hadn't earned that right because I was always too busy just being the, 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 the one on the edge that's looking after you all and I'm sort of staying connected to everybody um, to an extent, but just not to the point where like people are saying, are you all right? Um, and again, that's the, that's the contradiction of appearing like you're, you're doing really well. Uh, in life generally um, people are not going to ask you how you are and then you're denying yourself something that is really important to you so uh, as I say working on that um, if, if I'm not okay I tell, I'll say it far honestly uh, far more honestly um, if I am then obviously it's still fine to, to, to be able to, to voice that as well and those were two major lessons for me but yeah disappointment I guess because I'd, I'd probably told myself that surely everything I've been through would mentally give me whatever it needed in order to be us to be still standing there at the end. And when I was still stood there at the end, although not selected, um, I was just left with disappointment because I'd realised that there were these really glaringly obvious areas that I wanted to improve and have done. So very great. I'm, I'm sure you are very grateful for the lessons. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm complete opposite to you. So I did the exact opposite. I was like the dad of the group, not just because I was older than most of their, or old enough to be their dads, but I was nat- I was the other way. I instinctively would always drop to the back and carry everyone along, and sort of dropped into that. And which is why, I guess, I wanted to. I was li- the absolute antithesis of what you were saying. I guess it's getting the balance right, which is the important thing. But of course. I had cancer at the time and I didn't know it. So that was the thing for me. I couldn't work out why I was so tired and where I've always been lucky physically that I can just go on and on and on. And I couldn't. And I put that down to, to, to what had happened when we lost James and just sort of fatigue and the general, you know what it's like. It just takes a huge impact on you physically and mentally. So I didn't even realize it. So I had that going on physically and didn't even know about it. So 
my, the thing I will always take from that show is that it 100% saved my life because Sundeep sent me to the doctors when I got back and they found the cancer. And without right. that, I would never, ever, ever in a million years found it. So I'll be, I'll be dead now. So wow. for me, it's that's that it sort of overpowers all the disappointment and all the show. But I, I understand 100% what you're saying about the feeling of slight disappointment. But just picking up on your early life, because when... I first met you through Strong Men when you came along to our first weekend uh, in April 2019. I the only thing I knew about you was you were Jeff from the telly, and obviously, um, what had happened to you with Jade and the kids. I had no idea, for example, that you were a very talented footballer in your early years uh, with West Ham and, and and various other clubs as you went through the pyramid. But also, obviously, no idea about your biological father and what had happened there with the Merchioness, um, your, as you were saying, in fostering and, and your your mum and how young she was when she had you and your brother as well. Um, I was really, I'm not going to say amazed, that's the wrong word, but when, when, I, um, you know, when I found out about your background, I think it's an incredible experience that you've been through and how you are the person you are now and still refuse to sort of be a victim to any of these things I think is a huge testament to, to yourself so hearing what you were saying earlier or just a second ago about being maybe slightly selfish in some situations I think we're all products of our upbringing and our background it's it's sort of part of our DNA but how was that how was that for you growing up because you say I know football for you was a massive release you were a hugely talented young man and football like whether it's music art acting football wherever it happens to be it can be something that you can channel so much into to give you some sort of release from it so what was Jeff the early Jeff like uh, are you kind of just an older version of that now or have you changed with Hugh I mean you put a lot of effort into yourself as you were just explaining to try and improve the bits that you don't like or you've you've not seen the best of but it, we all revert to type in situations where it's difficult whether that be a loss of of um if you're, you're learning about your father and not even meeting your father or so how how did that kind of shape your or what impact has that had on you sort of current i, I know it's really a big know. question isn't it but yeah yeah it is but no you, you've kindly given me the opportunity to just sort of reflect back and um i i think Whilst you're right, I've done a lot of development. Um, I guess I, I recognise that I needed to, um, but I, I've also done a lot of healing. Um, so, so I think that a lot of our work as, as adults is sometimes to to, to try and heal um, the, the traumas of experience when we were younger. Otherwise, we are very often a product of um, those traumas, and we will make decisions and attract to people and situations on account of you know, what that, um, what those uh, maybe weaknesses and vulnerabilities and scars are that we're holding or carrying or trying to hide. Um, so uh, I guess it's really interesting how we work because, uh, yeah, for being fostered, for not meeting my biological dad, for growing up in a, in a home where there's a fair bit of domestic violence, to be fair, I, you know, I, I was... Um, I spent a lot of time in my bedroom sort of growing up and, you know, I just sort of used to hear screaming and shouting downstairs and, and it just used to put you in a real sort of, a real state, to be honest. Um, but, but that was my, if I was to sort of um, be able to condense those experiences into what it gave me is that um, I, I, it, 
I had no choice but to kind of be a little bit of a, a, a survival sort of specialist as a, as a as a kid. I don't mean in a bear grill sense, obviously. Um, I mean in a in a way that I was able to take my mind somewhere in order to be able to um, sustain whatever was difficult um, in in that period, and and it was prolonged, you know, regardless of what what the particular thing was. You know, even when it was good, it, it wasn't in a sense that football. You, you know, you described for me as as being my sort of escape. It was. It was great because it was something that I was good at, which meant that it was something that my stepdad um, would would praise me for, and that was sort of uh, short supply, as it were. So when it comes to to any validation or gratification, um, then I guess the football was that that source for it, and it also. I think it helped me to sort of dip under the radar because without it, you would have definitely singled me out for bullying. Um, I was really quiet, um, socially awkward. Um, you know, I just wanted to, you know, when when's my next training session? When's my next game? Um, and, you know, with, with playing football, it's such a shame. Like, there's any sort of budding football coaches sort of uh, watching this or any coaches that sort of... Uh, um, a, a, a coach of their of their son or daughter's um, team. Um, you know, I used to play football in order to not upset my stepdad, as opposed to playing football for me. Um, you know, I think it's really important to make sure that, that anyone that we're trying to develop that their um, their their motivation comes um, from being driven for themselves to achieve a target or a goal for themselves. So it's a, it's a regret because. Um, because that stayed with me during, you know, when I was an apprentice at Orient and when I sort of turned professional there. In terms of having those additional um, layers of, that's just funny we can come back to, it, but I didn't have selfishness then. But I needed to be more selfish. I needed to be a bit more ruthless. I needed to look at the right back for the first team at Orient. I needed to feel like I'm taking your shirt. I'm going to come take your place. But really, I just felt like a, a boy, and I felt like it was going to be years before I got the opportunity. But that's not what the manager was looking for at the time. He was looking for someone who was going to be knocking on the door there and then, uh, as as young people can. But I just wasn't ready uh, mentally or, or anything. So um, I've spent the last seven years in therapy um, with a, a, a Jungian um, psychotherapist, just undoing the effects of the childhood. Um, you can't. You can never. You, I should choose my words more carefully. You can never completely undo it. What you can do is certainly heal from it. Um, I recognise how, you know, in relationships early on in my adult life, I would get to three years with wonderful people and I would absolutely shit a brick uh, because it was all of a sudden it's like, well, um, I need to be committed in some way, shape or form. I need to start sort of looking at this and seeing this as being my future because uh, it deserves it. It's warranted it. Uh, it it's a, but however, I couldn't because I felt like I'm putting someone in a position where they can walk out on me like my mum did. And I didn't think of that sort of logically. That wasn't something that was that was sort of going through my mind verbatim. It was. Um, it, it's just that 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 trigger that you're that you're left with because um, the way the way we work subconsciously is it, it doesn't matter whether it was thirty years ago what you went through. It will still be felt like it was three weeks ago. It's um, it has a way of of sort of not. Um, necessarily adhering to to how many decades have passed, it, it it really doesn't matter to that that instinct or that that sort of that that feeling of you know we've, we've all got like something that if someone says something in a certain way or there's a particular subject we can all identify our own triggers 
And so I've been working on being able to identify them. Like, I'm really not good when people don't take responsibility. And again, it's really obvious when you sort of reflect back, well, um, my mum was too young to take responsibility. If anything, my, my mindset is that I'm grateful that she got me here in the first place. So although, like, you know, what followed was, was far from ideal, who cares? I'm here. Um, but then, you know, not taking responsibility is something that you can trace back really sort of to, to my youngest years, to be honest. Um, and also if someone's not particularly fair, um, I, I don't do well with unfairness because I feel like there was a lot of unfairness sort of in my, again, early, early sort of years. So, so you know, your triggers are no great mystery. It's not like a Rubik's Cube. Right? Actually, it's really simple to see that the things that we found difficult will often shape the things that you continue to find difficult in, in life until maybe you're, you're, you're able to invest your time in, in unravelling that. And, um, yeah, to, to sit with someone for an hour a week you know, and those those hours really tie up. It must be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, and and it's all. Uh, it doesn't make things hard. I think a lot of people avoid therapy because it makes them it makes them revisit things that they'd rather just sort of leave. But again, in my experience, I'd say that the way our subconscious works is that when the surface level is calm and peaceful, it will absolutely just sort of offer something up. And almost, if you imagine a well with the buckets that pulley system is on a continuous sort of like, I don't know who controls it, but your subconscious is, is far more clever, um, far more intelligent than your, than your, your ego or your thinking function. And just when you think, oh, life's good and settled, all of a sudden you just feel something that's like, this can't be relevant to today because everything's okay. And inevitably it's your subconscious just offering it up and saying, hey, go, mate, you can deal with this now. So for those that feel that they can outrun certain you know, a lot of people try and outrun grief, don't they? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it's it's understandable why we do it. Why would we want to feel that? But when you also realise and have to accept that you're not going to be able to outrun it because it will it will catch up on you and it will it will influence your health potentially. It will influence your relationships. It will influence um, you know your your career and things like that. That's when you're like, right, I really do need to start being more comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. And um, so I've, I've gone off track ever so slightly, but, but when it comes to, um, you know, how it shaped me, I think that I'm I'm someone who's never going to not want to keep improving. Uh, I've become really, uh, I'm good at being kind to myself, uh, which I think is a super strength. Um, I'm, you know, I'm on my side, if you like. Um, and, and I think, I think that sometimes we, we, we're not, and there's that inner conflict which um, can really sort of hurt people um, more so than they've already been hurt in the past by other stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself. And it's, you know, I think it's really important to say that. I don't think I was able to say that for a long, long time. But I've been, I've been very human uh, about my my sort of shortcomings, about my start in life, and I've just been sort of honest and humble, and and tried to make the best of whatever I've got available to me because I think that's that's the project for for all of us, really. I, I now, I've met a lot of people. I mean, I'm 50 years old now, believe it or not. I know I don't look it, and I've met an awful lot of people, particularly in the, in the in recent years since we lost James through the military, 
through the TV stuff. And I, I struggle to find anyone that's more genuine than you in all the people I'd meet. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I, I, I've always been really touched how how you are with the charity and all the guys that you've met. You always remember their names. You always remember their backgrounds. You always remember these parts of them, which proves obviously it's an incredibly important thing to you to have that connection with people and to understand them like you've just explained there. So picking up and going slightly back on that, just if we can touch on the issues or with with Jade um, and with your two boys, with everything that you've just or we've just discussed, and you were still a young man, a father of two young boys whose mother was diagnosed with a terminal illness. Was that scary or how did you think about that? Because, I mean, I, my childhood is not massively dissimilar to yours in terms of the, the issue with my parents. And um, and it shaped how I am as, a, as an adult and particularly as I am as a dad because I've seen how not to, to, to be a parent. So I've always... I, it's natural to me... To, to do the exact opposite to what my parents did for me. So when that was facing you, and obviously having been through what you had been through, how did you feel in the lead up to that with all the f- fuss and the, the circus, I guess, that went on around that and then the aftermath of that? So how did you, understanding where you are now, how you like to put things structured, did you sort of plan things in advance on what you would do or did you go on gut instinct or did you, how, how did you sort of, how did that, feel and how did that sort of play out um well so it was like blind optimism for me and i again if if we sort of take what i've just said about um always being positive and and using that shield to to sort of ward off anything that i didn't want to experience or accept uh it came really useful then for a for a time and um, so i i remember just thinking right, I can do this. So to bear in mind, there's no stronger motivation than feeling like I'm going to be the dad to you that I wish my dad that I never met was. Um, he didn't have a child, so you know, you don't can't meet somebody then. then uh, but, you know, there's this whole thing about um, not not taking me on when my mum, I remember my, um, I was told the story that my mum had sort of gone with me in her arms down to where he worked and I was, she was told sort of to, you know, to to basically leave, and um, you know that that sort of rejection. Whilst I was obviously not, not old enough to understand what was going on at the time, you you hear the story, and obviously you know that you hadn't met him for a reason, even though he was he was alive for nine years of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that was to do with being fostered, maybe. A lot of that was to do with um, my stepdad blocking it and sort of insisting that if I marry you uh and if those are the terms by which the social services would allow you to 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 get him back then i i want him to think that he was my real dad and that's a bit short-sighted to be fair and he's apologized to me many times since which i really respect as well um so it just yeah puts you in a in a position um again fast forward into to the time with um with losing jade and it just made me absolutely hell bent on I'm going to be what you need, um, really as, as, as straightforward as this. But I was also making a really unrealistic statement. I, I was saying to people, I'm going to try and bring these kids uh, through their childhood as unscathed as possible. And that was to suggest that I felt that I actually had some power and influence over healing them, um, you know, from the most traumatic thing that they could actually go through. And it wasn't me underestimating the power of 
um, you know, children's love for their mum or, or vice versa. Uh, it was just naivety, ultimately, and, and you know, we're all guilty of that um, at sort of point until you get to, to our age, 40s, 50s, and you, I think you look back and you're like, oh, that <laughs> was a bit way off there. And I was, I was way off. I was way off in thinking that I could just be positive uh, and that that would somehow um, sustain us, so that would give me the strength for the respite that I required in order to keep myself balanced, in order to give them everything that that they needed. I mean, for starters, let's just break it down. I could never be everything that they needed. Mm. How can I be mum and dad? And I don't think I ever tried to do that. But a lot of people, there is this statement that people make: "You've done a great job of being mum and dad." And I don't take offence to it. I, I do sort of those things. So I catch it, and I'm like, "You can't be the mum because, like, they're, they're, firstly, like, there's no replacing anyone's mum, let alone theirs, um, and how special they are to them, and obviously how how huge it is to have that influence in your life. But also, you just and you know, you can't come anywhere close to replicating what it is to to, to feel a mum's presence and a mum's love and a mum's guidance." Um, so it's a good job that I didn't try and make that statement to myself or try and be that. I've always said that I've become a bit of a hybrid in that maybe I'm slightly more sensitive and receptive and, and aware uh, because I think you definitely start to um, strengthen those, um, those, those, those habits, those instincts. Um, but, but as a result, yeah, I, I could never be everything that the kids need. And I think that sometimes we, yeah, we had this conversation the other day and someone was saying, you know, you've done a really good job and, you know, obviously they've, they've, they've got this from you and this from their mum. And it was almost them, they were talking in total terms, like like everything that your children are at a point has to have been a certain percentage of mum and a certain percentage of dad and that's it. Whereas my my outlook now is that actually um, what my children are uh, would be a small percentage of me, uh, a small percentage of their mum, uh, and actually the, the bulk of it actually comes from their own ability um, to to gather what they what they want to be or what they need, you know, that, that resourcefulness uh, from other people, from other from other other influences, if you like. And a lot of it is, is almost left sort of undetermined as well, bearing in mind that what you think you are at 18 is not what you are at 19, 20. We change so much. There's so much uh, transition continuously. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I've never been sort of, uh, I've always, it's always been really lovely when people have complimented me because, I, I, yeah, I'm really proud, as I said before, with my, my approach to it, my work rate, my honesty. And as I get older, you know, I've been able to just sort of credit my children with everything that they're going through. And there'll always be challenges, but everything they've become, um, you know, it, it's not like, oh, yeah, I, I, I did that. Or I know I played my, my role and, I, and I'm really proud of the role that I have, I've, I've played. But, um, yeah, they've, they've done the, the, the majority of it, especially when they're – I, I guess I, I know what it's like to grow up maybe without a sort of without one of the parents present um, with a bit of difficulty in other areas. And, um, you know, it does require, you know, it requires stuff that you wouldn't want your children to, to, to need to learn at a young age. Uh, that's, that's the regret, isn't it? That's what's, you know, there's, there's, yeah. there's no positives to losing a parent in your childhood or even in adulthood. You know, I've seen, I've seen adults that have been absolutely upended, um, by losing parents that are in their nineties, people try telling them that, um, oh, they had a good innings, yeah, but I still want to be, 
And it's, you know, it's, it's just, um, there's lots of different sort of scenarios of what we go through. But uh, either way, I just think that they have, they've, they've grown, uh, they've grown so much. But it's been a big difference in me. And so I, I always want to, always mindful to answer your question. But uh, yeah, I think if we look at that sort of, that, um, that time timeline, um, I was naive, I was uh, a blind optimistic, I was full of hunger and motivation to do a good job. Uh, I felt social pressure. I also whacked an absolute bundle of pressure on myself that was needless. I should have I should have had therapy from the start, and that would have given me that outlet to be out safe. But I wasn't the person who was going to admit vulnerability, or because I didn't want that to open the cracks to failure. Um, that was you know that was that was I guess my concern at the time is what happens if you do say I'm struggling. Does that then sort of perpetuate itself into into you actually struggling on a daily basis? I remember turning around to friends and saying, "I only feel down once every three months." So I made that statement a, a number of times, and I honestly believed it. But that was that's how how, how amazing a tool um, that ability to sort of to shut off from negativity is. It's great at the time when you need it. But what a lot of us forget to do is switch it off when it's redundant or it's it's no longer. Yeah, that's almost like it's that Dunkirk spirit. You need it at that moment. But once that moment is over, you need to take a step backwards. Yeah, and that's that's really tough, right? Because usually we, we get ourselves into a fixed way of being and it's really hard to unravel that. We don't always see ourselves as being fluid, but we of course we are entirely fluid and versatile in, in, in how we can adapt to different situations and different things that it requires from you. Um, so, so yeah, I had to stop being so positive. I can't feel like this <laughs> SAS thing we, we share was, was quite pivotal in just allowing me to, um, to, to sort of think about myself for a minute, to stop sort of maintaining whatever I felt I needed to be for them. Because you know, the, the, the irony is, is that actually, in order to be probably the best guide for your children, you need to show them the full range of emotion that a human is likely to go through as an adult. So I was only showing them strength and resilience, all good things, uh, but I was also showing them denial, and I was showing them uh, a coping strategy that that actually was good for a time and not necessarily for for beyond that. Yeah, maybe that was good for you as well. I mean, I, I, I'm very similar in that way. It's it's that sort of smash through it and do do it. But also you you realise you don't want them to feel that they have to be that way because that's the way that you are and it might not be natural for them. And I think as they grow as young adults and your lads will be, what, young young men now, they've changed so much in that time period that you have to be so fluid with them. And, and you know, if you look back at yourself at their age... And I know perhaps you were in a different situation, but you look back and think all the added complications, which when we were growing up were so much simpler than what they are now. And I, I guess that brings me to a question for, for both of your, your boys, because they'd be, what, 18, 19, sort of heavy teens, 20-ish. Exactly. It's, a, it's a brutal age. It really is a brutal age. How How much... Are you like a mate with them? Are you like a dad with them? Are you a bit of everything with them? Are you try and mentor them a bit? I know, is it Bobby that's gone into the media stuff, which again, must make you feel a little bit 
strange and I don't know anything about that side but you know a lot about it I guess it's a weird world and do you worry that he'll he's trying to fulfill some sort of a prophecy will that then have an impact on Freddie because he doesn't necessarily want to do that it's you know how does that feel and and how would you and the other thing is I was listening to you there thinking what would how would it would have been for you if you had a boy and a girl or if there was a, a daughter as well how would that sort of because we're very different with sons to daughters I know I am I'm very different with my son as I was to my daughter I feel I wonder how that whole dynamic would have sort of un, you know taken things a, a really different route and maybe that would have changed obviously you don't know because it didn't happen but I wonder as as you get older and perhaps as as your kids have kids and introduce that sort of stuff into you I wonder if that will really have a massive impact on you because you may then be able to be more traditional grandparent than you were a traditional parent because it was just you it's all these things you don't know do you until they happen and you think you know and when they do happen it's like i didn't see that coming as you were saying and you have to almost be adapt to change with stuff and as your boys are getting to that age now and going out into the big world and inviting criticism pressure and all the horrible things you know that can happen i wonder how that that is for you now yeah, you, you've done me again with about 80 questions in, <laughs> in one statement, but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed listening to it, but I, I thought, wow, uh, uh, can I, um, I think, I think where, where that would take me is, is that I once naively felt that there was a checkered flag in parenthood where when they get to 18, that's somehow like the, the end goal. And <laughs> it's, 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 it's the opposite, isn't it? It's the opposite. <laughs> oh, it's just beginning. It's just beginning. But I, I think that in order for me to, to be a good dad right now, whatever that means is I need to just be, um, I, I think, a, a consistent. And and to also be able to accept that they're going to, they're going to, um, they're going to have shockers every now and again. And um, that, I think that's part of their own journey. I had shockers when I was younger, for sure. Anyway, so I know it's the natural order of things. So if you're telling yourself as a parent that you must help your children avoid all negative outcomes, um, then then that's firstly impossible. You're putting too much pressure on yourself. And, and actually, your kids don't really want you to make decisions for them past the point anyway. So you can, you can try and interfere if you like. You're just going to push them away. Um, so I, I, I have two very different um, children in prospects at the moment in terms of um, where they're at, what they need from me. So, you you know, in terms of adaptability, 100%. Um, so, yeah, I, I also, I think it's, there's acceptance is a word that I'll probably use a lot um, really in answering your question, but it's the acceptance that I can't help them avoid, um, um, you know, uh, bumping into something or someone um it's i i, I have to really uh, understand the amount of control that i have it's very little it's actually very little um all i can do is continue to be a good um a, a, a good visual role model if you like in the way that i'm going about certain things the way that i'm handling i guess my my own um life and, and they, they, they'll always look at you as a menu and they'll pick what they like, pick what they want to take and they'll leave the rest. And, and as I say, they sort of fill in the gaps for themselves. And um, it's, it's interesting. You're right. I've got two different, um, different scenarios in it. Yeah. Bob's going into extenders and um, I don't feel worried about him going into the media that way. What I was worried about is him going into the media via a reality um route just because um that's what uh, i did that's what his mum did and it's 
very difficult and there were a lot of um there were a lot of bumps on on that road um so for their mental health i, I wanted them to, to both avoid that and bobby you know he started off by by modeling um and then he, he got this wonderful opportunity to to learn how to act on on extenders so he's an apprentice effectively um and he's had a really great attitude so i, I feel like one of them is is sort of he's on his path and whilst like, i still have to tell him about showing a bit more appreciation for the fact that i get up and, and drop him to the station early in the morning or you know the, the things that i that i obviously do for him you know just make sure his feet are on the ground and whatever else i'm not worried that he's in that industry just because um he he has a job title um so just to explain that like i i used to be called a number of things but but very rarely uh, in a passage of my life was it by my name i'd be someone's partner or um and and you know that that's quite sort of uh that, that's quite damaging for your your sense of self and i wouldn't want my children to go in to be described as someone's son even though that is the the, the reality i think that that's lovely if it's sort of a few paragraphs down uh, but not necessarily, you know, sort of the top line. Um, so, so now he's able to go in. He's earned the right to be called Bobby Brazier, the model or the actor or whatever else. And it, it wouldn't matter if he was Bobby Brazier, the, the, the plumber or the, the, the policeman or, or any of these things. The, the, the fact is, is he's earned the right to, to be called, you know, his, his own name. So really that's something that I obviously was hurt by in the past that, that I was keen to, for my children to avoid. And, and, uh, and I guess that has been sort of bypassed so so that's 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 great fred i don't know what fred's gonna do um i think that, that you know he's been sort of my main focus for for a little while but i also am learning so much about myself in terms of um how i'm able to to just i might feel a certain way i might want to say a certain thing and i might have to really think about what i communicate and how i communicate it in order to not create an undesirable outcome so, uh, you know, yes, I'm quite methodical about but I think you have to be. And again, sort of not being able to necessarily bounce this off or share the responsibility with somebody. Um, I I don't care what, what he ends up doing sort of work-wise or anything like that. I just care that he is okay and that he's equipped and resourced. Um, and uh, and I guess in order for me to, to play as much of a part as I can, I need to work out what's effective you know, for, for me, the most effective way for me to support him. So I, I spend a lot of time kind of wondering, right, how can I encourage him without, without him feeling like he's being sort of forced? So it's a precarious and a sensitive one at the moment. Um, but I feel like I'm doing really well at it in that I, I haven't upset him, you know, to, so much that he's not, he's not receptive or listening to me anymore. So... Um, so yeah, I appreciate that that position. That's it. Must be something that's that's quite difficult for most parents. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a challenge. You you want your children to have opportunities. You want them to be happy. You want them to be stable, healthy, all of these things. Uh, and you try to provide opportunity through education, through the, the upbringing that you give them. And but a lot of it is obviously down to luck, isn't it? In terms of health, in terms of who they may meet, what they might end up doing. A lot of life is down to being in the right place at the right time. And I think sometimes that gets underlooked, the, in, the input of luck, both good and bad, and how sort of, what sort of impact that has on people's lives. So when you 
as you are now, Jeff, and you look back to the journey that you've been on, which is obviously ever, well, it's going to continue, obviously, for, like it does for all of us for the rest of our lives. When you look at sort of lessons learned and what you would, there's, in, there's certain moments in everyone's lives where you look back and you think, I wish I'd done that differently or I wish I'd known then what I know now. Is that why you continue the, the sort of the, the growth, the improvement, working so hard on yourself? Is there still things that you want to do with your career? There's still things you want to do with yourself in terms of your learning and your development. Have you got sort of goals in that respect that you can share or is it just an evolving process based around your children, your circumstance and all the other parts of, I've asked you about another hundred questions again, haven't I? But do you know what I mean? Is there, is there, is there still goals for you short term, long term, where you're trying to head and where, where you're looking to, or are you, are you really, um, sort of really in with it deep in terms of what you're talking about with Freddie and Bobby and that sort of side of it? Or is there, is there lots of things that you want to do over the coming years? Yeah, interesting phase. Like, I think it, at the very root of me, I'm just trying to survive, whatever that means, and whatever it is that I'm trying to survive. I think there's many things, I, and I, I don't to say that I'm trying to survive doesn't mean to say um, that I'm actually specifically talking about. It's not. I'm not talking about anything financial. I'm not necessarily talking about anything from a, a sort of relationship point of view or with my children. Um, but that just felt like the answer that I that that's what sort of I, I, I want to say. Like it's just surviving certain periods in your life where there's a few things going on, and um, you know I, I don't mean just to make sure I'm here at the end of it. Not that kind of survival. I, I mean so that I come through it um, in a in, in in the best way possible. And it's not just about me coming through it; it's other people coming through things as well. So. Um, so it really feels like there's a lot of focus on, um, on, on again, just I, I'd say making sure everything's going to be okay, but I, I can't make sure that I have an acceptance that I can't make sure that because there, there are other people's sort of um, uh, wills um, that, that are obviously a big part of that. Um, but in terms of sort of from a career point of view, like I've, I've, I've I, I always, I think this comes from the 13 years of bringing the boys up. Um, in that, I started gravitating towards work that is, uh, I, I guess, you know, that, that, that's, that's enough, but doesn't have to be the maximum. I never really chased the sort of the, the top rung of the, the entertainment world just simply because, uh, well, I guess that wasn't my main interest. My main interest was how I got a stable, steady income. So that's why I worked for this morning for nine, 10 years. It's why now, you know, working for the postcode lottery, it, it's literally that job that is bulletproof. It survived the pandemic, it, and I'm so grateful for for that. When all my other sort of work, obviously, was 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 paused, whereas that was able to continue. It's like gave me the, the security to be able to take positives from that time that we all had with our families. Um, BT and other long-term contracts, um, you know, and the, the, the plan at the end of that with all the development that I do with, with them is that one day I'll be the one front in the, whether it's the Champions League, the Europa League, the Premier League, whatever it is, but, you know, I, I'll, and I'll feel very satisfied in that work because I I love the fact that I watch football, um, you know, for a, for a living. That's, 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 that's great for me. And there's other, there's other, contracts that I've got that are equally as long term. Um they're a little bit more low key, but just, you know, things in the in the mental health space and things that really matter to me. So actually in terms of work and career, I, I think 
I said this to someone the other day, like, I'm, I, I became comfortable at a point with what I was earning and what I was doing because it gave me a, a, a balance of security. Um, um, it, it, it gave me a, a sense of fulfillment and purpose and there's a varied sort of nature to it. So uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to be the person who's like, right, I've sort of cracked it because I think you always have to strive um, for, for something, but I'm certainly not striving as much as I used to when I was younger because I just feel like I'm in a really fortunate position where I'm actually quite sort of rich from a time point of view. Um, I've got a lovely balance and I protect that. I really, really protect that. I always make sure that I don't take on too much because I want to, and it's very important for me to be around. Um, but I know also at a point, and, and this is a, an answer to another one of the eight questions you asked me, um, and that is uh, that this new phase is where the boys actually sort of, they don't want to knock around with you. You've literally got time available to yourself that you have never had or haven't had for certainly 13 years. But I mean, you know, my life as a parent didn't start when the boys lost their month. Right? Obviously, it's been 19, 20 years now. Yeah. Um, so looking at it from that sense, like that's a long, long time of feeling ultimately responsible for maintaining a home, uh, for you know maintaining relationships, and for um, you know maintaining these kids as best as I can. So it, I, I've always I've, I've coached. I'm a I'm a life coach and an NLP practitioner. Part of my talking therapy practice, I would speak to people who would often come to me and, and say that they feel completely redundant because their children have moved out or because their kids are sort of... of an, and I always meant, used, used to look at that and think, well, I don't think that will affect me like it's affecting others just because I haven't singly sort of based my, my whole reason for being on being a dad. Um, it's a very important part of it, but I also have my own stuff going on, don't I? Um, and actually, here I am at the point where, like, you know, there'll be times when Fred's at his girlfriend's and Bob will be out sort of gallivanting, doing what he does. And, um, and, and I'll be there and I'll think, oh, I don't know what to do with myself. And then it's like, oh, I, you know, like, oh, I've, I've isolated myself without, <laughs> without realising yeah. that was a long, slow burning process, by the way. So now um, I'm, I'm quite excited by the prospect of it, where, where I'm like, right. Who's doing, you know, you put out a group chat, anyone doing things tonight? Does anyone fancy dinner or a pint or, or whatever? And and I'm just starting to, um, you mentioned this word earlier, and actually it's, a, it's one, another one of these massive words for me at the moment. It is the project of connectedness, because I think it's it should be the, the project of society, if you like. I think we're all isolated and separated during the pandemic and I think society was probably sort of doing that to us anyway because of the distractions we have available to us, i.e. our phones and our Netflix accounts and so on and so forth. So actually for me the project is to connect and to reconnect with people that were really patient with me because they would have been used to me being the person that made all the effort and then I turned into the person that actually couldn't make any effort because uh, I was too busy trying to cope. Um, and then when I was coping, I forgot to flip the switch to go back to the old setting. So I carried on still kind of maintaining the same um, degree of focus on the kids and on, on sort of, you know, what was going on at home. Um, so here I am 20 years later, sort of, and, and I think it will take people some time to adjust it. And actually, 
a lot of my friends have, have had kids more, far more recently than I. So actually, they're sort of doing the thing where, well, no, we're in watching Strictly or, or you know, whatever it is that people watch on a Saturday night these days. So, um, yeah, I'm having to sort of adapt around it. But um, I'm looking forward to finding out, I guess, who I am when the responsibility starts to, uh, well, it's already started, but, but continues to, um, continues to lessen. Um, you know, you, you never sort of, you, you don't stop being a dad, you don't stop worrying, you don't stop sort of being there and supporting. However, um, I've undeniably got time that I didn't realise I had or, or hadn't, haven't had for so long that I, at this point, I'm not entirely sure what you're meant to do with it. I, I'm there I, I'm, and it changes I mean Yas, Yasmin my daughter now is 30 so my youngest is 30 uh, and James would have been 32 so we've been there for a, for a while and it is it's a, it's a, it, there's some great sides to it because you do get time but you do also think well what now you know what what do I do uh, and it's and the opportunities are there still to do them but you don't necessarily also as you were saying, your friends now, a lot of my friends, because we had children, I was 18 when James was born, they're still, their kids are seven, eight years, nine, ten years old, so they're still doing all that sort of stuff, so it does, it puts you in a in a difficult, we're sort of out of out of kilter with everybody else in terms of where they are in their lives, so some of our friends are older because they're children and all of that sort of thing, but it's a, it's a great evolution, and Jeff, I can only thank you. Thanks for taking the time out to talk to me, mate. I really, I could talk to you for another two or three hours because there's so much I want to ask you about, about the writing, about your UEFA coaching and all these things. So perhaps we'll do another one again sometime in the future. But thank you very much, mate. I really, really do appreciate we'd, it. No, we'd love to. Thank you so much. But I, it felt like a therapy session, mate, for me, to be fair. You gave me the opportunity <laughs> to reflect and look back at things. So I'm, I'm really grateful. And, and thanks to anyone who's listened to this as well. Um, yeah, the, I'll tell you what I've done, which I think is sort of in lieu of what I've just said about not sure what to do with my time. I've invested in a camper van. So I, I do a lot of miles for BT and the lottery and what, whatnot. So I'm forever up and down the motorways anyway. So I, I, at a point, thought, right, I'm going to invest in one of these camper vans because I can go up sort of, you know, to wherever it is on the Friday. I can take the clubs, I can take the bike, take some mates, take some relatives, whoever. Uh, whoever wants to come and just make a make a sort of a, an overnighter out of it, and um, I'm really excited about doing that as well. See, I want your feedback on this because we've we've looked at it as well, and I love the idea of the freedom of it, just being able to do it. So I'm really interested to see how you get on with it and if you use it. And it's, it's it's I'm so sort of pausing over the button, say go ahead and do it because that for me ticks a lot of boxes just to be able to get out there, do stuff, get on the bikes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know, mate. When I'm down your neck of the woods, I, I can also um, tell you to come come over and uh, I don't know, we can tell some stories around the campfire or something. Is that what you meant to do? Love it, mate. Love it. I'll bring the guitar. Ah, well, it's got to happen now. <laughs> Jeff, you're a gentleman as always. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much.